Hey, good morning and welcome to our Sunday online gatherings. We are so excited that you are here with us today. Yeah, and if you're new with us, we'd love to connect with you. So go ahead and click the prompt in the chat on your screen. Hey, coming up in the next couple of weeks, we actually have some things on the calendar. Coming up on August 29th, we have the Band of Brothers Golf Tournament. It's a four-man squad. The cost is $57 and it's gonna be at Auburn Golf Course. If you would like more information, contact Brian at mrccnow.org or call the church office to get more details. Yeah, also we have, we're going to have an event for the moms and the moms-to-be. Um, it's Back to Mops Night at MRCC and it's gonna be on August 18th at 6.30 p.m. So come on down and connect with your community and your fellow moms. Um, just to let you guys know, also childcare is not gonna be provided at the event, but we're still excited to be having some events coming up. Yes, mm -hmm. and we're gonna be going into a time of worship right now. So let's engage our God together, amen? Amen. Let's do it. Good morning, MRCC. Let's prepare our hearts for worship today as we are gathered together online. And as we do, we know that these are troubling times that we're in. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of sickness happening in our land right now. And so before we worship, can we just open our hearts and pray for our land and pray for each other before we enter in and worship today. So would you join us? If you feel led, would you just extend a hand? And God, we come to you now in your presence to worship you. And Father, we prayerfully ask for healing on our land, for the sick. Father, we just ask that in Jesus' name that this virus would be eradicated from this earth, Lord. And Father, that the name of Jesus would spread and that it would bring unity among the people. Father, you are so much greater than this division. You are so much greater than sickness. You are our healer, our provider, our leader, our Father. Father, we worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we can't wait to worship with you. Well, hey, when we worship today, we are gonna do three things. First, we are gonna humble ourselves in his presence, ask him to fill our hearts, fill our homes as we offer up a praise of worship. And then second, we are gonna remember how he is delivering us from death into his presence, into everlasting life. And finally, we are gonna glorify the name of Jesus. And remember, there's nothing like the redeeming love and blood of Christ. Let's worship him together, church. Yes. Washes the fear away. There is a peace that settles around us. Yes. It is your love that sets our hearts ablaze. Let's run on easily. Father, we're on our knees with every heartbeat. We bring you this heart. Lord, come and fill this place. Father, we're crying out. Spirit, we need you now. Glorious love surrounds us. Lord, come and fill this place. That's our prayer, Lord. There is a king that reigns in victory. There is a mercy strong enough to save. We feel it rising up from the ashes. There is a love that overcame the grave. Father, we
Father, we remember your grace and we thank you. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. You found me, you freed me, held back the waters from my beliefs. Oh, Yahweh. Come on, church. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You have torn
worship in your light Cause your glory is so beautiful Cause your glory is so
that we can gather together, even in our individual homes, let us not forget that we are united. And when we worship, we are united with the heavens in holy praise. So Father, your sons and daughters, united, offer up this praise to you. Because we need you. Because we love you. Because of who you are. So we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you for gathering with us in praise today. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is one of my favorite songs. And the power and the truth of it is as real today as it ever was. If you need to be made whole again, just know Jesus can do that. And he does that when you invite him to be your savior. It's great to be with you this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time you're gathering with us. If you're on, meeting on, come, if you're here on a Sunday morning, just know we are praying for you and with you in the live services at the same time that you're meeting with us online. And we are looking forward to the day when we will all come back together again. God will bring us to that day. We can trust him for that. I'm glad that you've chosen to take some time and set it aside first to worship God and, and then to learn from Him and His Word. And this morning, this afternoon, this evening, we're going to do that together right now. I want to invite you to, to grab your Bible, open it to 2 Peter chapter 3, and, and let's prepare our hearts to hear from God together. Would you pray with me right now, friends? God, we thank you for your living Word your word that discerns the innermost thoughts and attitudes of our heart, your word that reveals your love for us. And God, we ask your blessing as we listen to your spirit in your word this morning. Help us to hear you, to grow up in you, God, to understand your love for us. We pray for that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Peter chapter 3, friends, and, and can I just say this as we get started today, that sometimes justice comes when you least expect it. Uh, I remember when I was in middle school, and uh, you know, when you're that age, you're always trying to be cool, trying to prove to somebody or prove to yourself that you're cool. I certainly was trying to do that. And, and one of the most uncool things in the world, it seemed to me, was to be stuck riding the bus, like, you know, all the losers. And so I begged my parents for permission not to ride the bus to school. It was a couple, three miles away. But instead, uh, I wanted to ride my skateboard to school because that was cool. And, uh, and so they, they let me. And once I started doing that, boy, I just felt like I was now part of the cool crowd, not the uncool crowd that showed up on the bus. But justice happened one morning because while I was in my heart looking down my nose at those on the bus and I would pass it each morning on the way to school and I would look at all those faces in the windows and I would think, wow, if only you were as cool as me. Well, on one morning, I pulled up on my skateboard at an intersection, a stoplight, just as the bus pulled up and all those kids were looking out through the window and I was on my skateboard looking cool and in the moment, kind of trying to give off a cool vibe, knowing that a lot of those faces were watching me through the window, I put up my hand like this as if to say, is it raining? Because a drop had hit me in the head. And right when I put up my hand like that with all the kids watching, a bird pooped right in my hand. Giant splotch of white goo right in my hand. And I was stunned and shocked and I looked and every face in the windows of that bus were laughing at me and I became sort of infamous for a few days at school. Look, it's Greg, he catches bird poop in his bare hands. Sometimes justice comes when you least expect it. Everyone wants justice. We all feel the desire for it. It is human nature to want it. Philosophers tell us that's because God put the desire for justice in us when he made us in his image. 
And we feel a sweet satisfaction when we see justice done. Unless it's done to us or to someone we love. And then very often we feel a kind of grief and a, a longing for mercy. But God wants to talk to us about those two things today, justice and mercy. And one of the most important things God wants you and me to know is that in this world, on this world, He will bring justice. Nobody gets away with anything in the end. Sometimes we read the news, we watch what's happening in our world, and we think to ourselves, people are getting away with murder. People are getting away with all kinds of stuff. God wants us to know that He's watching and that in the end, nobody gets away with anything. The Bible tells us in the last couple of chapters of God's Word that that moment when justice comes is inevitable. And the scripture describes it this way in Revelation chapter 20. The Bible says, Then I saw, John is seeing a vision of what's to come, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book is open, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Each person was judged according to what he had done or she had done. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life in that moment, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friends, those are serious words. Those are sober words. Those are God's words. Those are his promise to bring justice. This morning, the Spirit of God wants to teach us about that coming judgment because He loves us. Just like you talk to your kids about drugs or drunkenness or driving carefully because you love them. In that same spirit, God speaks to us. He wants us to, to get serious about the reality of judgment so that we can experience the blessing of the fear of God and so that we can made, be made in our hearts, our minds, our spirits, invulnerable to that idea that justice will never come, that the wicked get away with it. On July 14th, 1964, the doorbell rang at an ordinary suburban house in Queens, New York. It was a beautiful day. The man who rang the doorbell was small and serious. He wore glasses. He carried a notebook and a file folder. He might have been a salesman, but he wasn't. The woman who answered the door that day, a Mrs. Ryan, had a good reputation in the neighborhood. She was well-known, well-liked. She was friends with her neighbors, active in the schools. And her husband described her as the most decent person on the earth. My wife could never hurt a fly. But when the man at the door introduced himself, Mrs. Ryan turned pale. And she said, my God, I knew this would happen. You've come. You see, her neighbors knew her as Mrs. Ryan, but her real name was Hermione Braunsteiner, and her nickname was the Stomping Mare for the way she used to enjoy stomping prisoners to death as a Nazi guard at the Modenik prison camp in World War II Poland. Her trial would later convict her of the direct murder of more than 80 women, 102 children, and the indirect murder of more than 1,000 people. After the war, Mrs. Braunsteiner ran and hid and kept her secrets. And later she would admit to a reporter that she sometimes convinced herself during that time that 
that her past didn't matter, that it was forgotten. But it wasn't forgotten. Because you see, there was a man named Simon Wiesenthal who had lost 89 members of his family to those Nazi death camps, who had spent six years in one himself. And when the war was over, he started looking for the bad guys. And for the next 58 years, he was relentless in tracking them down. Mrs. Braunsteiner, in fact, was one of thousands that he helped track down. And most of them said the same sort of thing when they were finally captured. They said, my God, I knew this would happen. You've come. You've come for me. Church, understand, in the same way God says he is coming, that there will be a knock at the door for everyone. And when he comes this time, the lamb will be a lion bringing justice. And we need to know this so that we will have peace in troubled times, so that we will have strength in troubled times. God wants us to know that his judgment day is coming, that his justice is unstoppable, and we are meant to rest in that. I invited you to turn to, to 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's work through these first 13 verses of chapter 3 together in the next 20 minutes or so and let God speak to us about this important truth. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter tell us this. Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. He had written the letter we know as 1 Peter. Now he's writing 2 Peter. He said, I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. That's a pregnant phrase. We'll talk about it in a moment. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Let's, let's, let's pause for a moment, get some context here. First of all, when, Paul talks, or when Peter talks about wholesome thinking, what does he mean? Well, he's referring to, to sane thinking, to realistic thinking, to thinking that is in touch with reality more than fantasy. Uh, to kind of give you a picture of what is meant by this phrase, wholesome thinking. I remember when I, when I worked in the emergency room and 80% and, and of the injuries that we saw in the ER, 80% of the trauma that we saw in the ER was as a result of drunkenness or someone being high. And when you experience that day in and day out, week in and week out, you understand why God says he never wants people drunk. <laughs> Drunkenness is not God's will for any of us ever. When I think of all the lives lost and all the injuries suffered, I understand where he's coming from. I begin to have wholesome thinking about drunkenness. I remember when Ron and I served in a little town in northern Idaho called Moscow and the police chief's son uh, was turning 21. His friends took him out because they said, hey, you're 21. It's time to get you drunk for the first time. That's the rite of passage, turning 21. It's a good thing. And they took him out and they got him drunk. And that night, he was overcome with sadness and depression in his drunken state and he took his own life. And suddenly, Everybody understood that drunkenness isn't a game, that wholesome thinking understands that it's never God's will for us. And we get to that place of wholesome thinking, Peter says, by remembering, recalling God's word, the word of the prophets, the word of the apostles made known to us. And in this moment, Peter is specifically thinking of the word of judgment. We're going to see that in just a moment. But the, the fact is we need to be stimulated to wholesome thinking because a, a silly juvenile world won't do that for us. Instead, it will distract us with all sorts of magic thinking, all sorts of junk like a carnival midway, lust and greed and rebellion and violence and hatred. 
You know, as a teenager, I remember when I got to the point where I understood that all the trinkets, all the shiny stuff in the Carnival Midway, we had the Lane County Fair that came to town every summer, was such a, something we look forward to, we all loved going. When I was a kid, I just wanted to win the stuff in the Carnival Midway, but somewhere in my teenage years, I began to realize it's all junk. And when you spend 10 or $20 trying to knock down a Cupid doll at best, you get a, a cheap bit of junk for it. Wholesome thinking understands that. And, and the world says, party today because tomorrow doesn't matter. But God says it does. God says it's coming. Peter tells us in the next two verses, verses 3 and 4, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, God promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. There will be, in other words, this skepticism, this doubt about God bringing justice, about judgment coming. And Peter says, understand, that's going to be the attitude of the world. But understand that that attitude is profoundly mistaken. People like to assume that because something hasn't happened yet, it won't happen. But that's not wholesome thinking. It's fundamentally irrational, in fact. It's juvenile. Nobody thought the Titanic could sink, but it did on its very first voyage. Nobody thought people would hijack airliners and fly them into buildings in major cities, but they did. Nobody thought a flood would come when Noah was building the ark in a desert, but it did. Nobody thought that, that God would come to earth as a babe in a manger, but he did. Nobody thought the Messiah would die on a cross, but he did. Just because something hasn't happened before doesn't mean it won't, especially when God says it will. I remember when our son Isaiah was a teenager and kind of first getting into video games like all his peers and he wanted to play these online games and I, so we had a computer for him so that he could do that, make those connections and one of the things I told him was I said, son, don't ever download stuff, don't give away your password. I know you'll be tempted to, it's what people do, but if you do, it's going to ruin your computer, it's going to crash, you're going to lose your ability to play and of course, being a teenager, he didn't listen. And then the night came when his PC locked up and wouldn't work because of the malware and the junk. And then the day came when his accounts were stolen by his friends and passwords were passed around. And suddenly he lost all because he hadn't paid attention to my warning. In the same way, God says to us, we must understand that judgment will come. You want to reject the kind of thinking that says it won't. Jesus put it this way. Somber warning. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 24. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be, Jesus said, at the coming of the Son of Man, at the bringing of God's justice, at that judgment day. For 20 years, Hermione Braunsteiner kept telling herself the judgment wouldn't come, but it did. She had every reason to think she was safe, hidden, forgotten. But she wasn't because the whole time Simon Wiesenthal was coming. The entire time he was getting closer. And then the moment came. Now friends, it's not only important for us to understand this for our eternal destiny, it's important for the health and strength of your heart and mind in the meantime. We, we are living in a time of desperation. People are afraid that justice will get lost in our nation, in our world, that chaos will reign, that the bad guys will win in the end. But in the midst of all this, the sons and daughters of God, the believers in Jesus, those who take his word seriously, live with a perfect and unshakable peace, absolutely convinced 
that justice is coming, that righteousness will triumph in the end, that all the guilty will be punished, and that every good deed will be rewarded. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus enough to believe when he says that, that it's absolutely true? If you do, you find a strength in this sea of bad news that elevates you above it. Your heart becomes invulnerable to the depression and discouragement and anxiety that afflicts so many because you know that the election won't be the last word, that some law passed by the government won't be the last word. You know that Jesus will have the last word. God will have the last word in perfect justice and judgment. You know, when I pastored in that little town, Moscow, Idaho, I often had to drive back and forth to Seattle for, for business in our Assemblies of God network. And so I drove Highway 26 a lot. Maybe some of you are familiar, familiar with that highway. A long highway snaking through the Palouse across the middle of the state of Washington. A narrow two-lane road. It's a deadly and dangerous road. And because on one end is a major metropolitan center, Seattle and Tacoma, and on the other end are two universities, the University of Idaho and Washington State, University, that road can be a dangerous road. Very often, college students are unwise on that, very, on that road in their driving, in their sobriety or lack thereof. I remember one time when I was making that trip, driving on that road, and a, a reckless bunch of young people in a Porsche came flying up behind me. They were passing everybody. They were crossing lanes against the passing stripes. They were taking the shoulder. They were zooming around everybody. They had to be going 100 plus, endangering everybody. And when I saw it happen, I was distraught. I thought, man, somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to get hurt. This is not good. And just as I was beginning to feel that anxiety, oh God, this is terrible, I saw in my rearview mirror the flashing lights of the two police cars that were chasing them. And I want you to know I've never been happier in my life than to pull over to the shoulder and let those two police cars go by. They went screaming by me and in that moment my whole mood changed. I thought to myself, okay, that's not just going to happen. They're not just going to get away with that. The police are on it. I knew in that moment justice was coming. And miles down the road, when I drove by the Porsche, parked on the side of the road with three young men in handcuffs, I was a happy guy. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from. You know what I was feeling. Well, church, understand, God wants to set our hearts at rest in the same way. His justice is coming. His judgment is coming. Peter puts it this way, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3. Look at what he says. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything will be laid bare. That's a, a poetic way of saying all the secrets will be revealed. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? In other words, judgment is coming. Live in the light of it. Be sane. Be in connection with reality, knowing that that is reality. Don't let the, the moment that wickedness races past you reck recklessly control your heart and mind. You know what my impulse was when I saw those guys in the Porsche was I wanted to chase after them and put a stop to it myself. But my 1966 half-ton Chevy pickup with the straight-six inline uh, engine was, was never going to get above about 85 or 90. And if I had tried to catch them, if I had tried to take matters into my own hands, I might have been the cause of tragedy. I might have killed someone or myself, hurt someone or myself. I would have made the whole thing worse. Some of us are feeling that kind of desperation in our world right now. God wants us to rise above it knowing that he's on this. His judgment is coming. His justice will be perfect. Your sanity and clear head in these times depends on you remembering that. That's why Peter speaks so strongly to us about it. That's why the Holy Spirit right now is seeking to speak strongly to you and me. And so, the scripture says, in light of these kinds of realities, in Psalms 37, for example, refrain from anger, Greg, 
and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. Evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek, they will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. God is inviting us, friends, to rest the weight of our anxiety and our dismay at what we see in our world on his promise to bring justice. Fretting only leads to evil. There's a lot of fretting going on in our world. All you got to do is tune into social media. I'd recommend you don't. But judgment is coming. And the meek, knowing that, will enjoy great peace even in the midst of the trials. You know that feeling when, when someone recklessly passes you on that road between Buckley and Bonnie Lake and, and they make a big deal about it and then you get to the intersection on either end and you pull up right behind them and you have a certain smile on your face and a kind of satisfaction in justice. God wants us to feel that seriously, especially in this time. Pilate said to Jesus just before he gave permission to execute him, he said to Jesus, don't you realize that I have power either to free you or crucify you? John chapter 19. And Jesus answered and said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. In other words, he understood that God will have the last word. And so even in that moment, facing his own execution, he was at peace. He was at powerful peace that allowed him to live the truth of our faith even in the midst of that turmoil. You know, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, when Moses says to the people of God, let the fear of God be with you. It will keep you from sinning. Let the fear of God be with you. It will keep you from sinning. Friends, the reality of judgment will keep you sane in your decision-making, in your emotional life, in your spirit. When you fear God's judgment, you fear nothing else. That's the great freedom Jesus enjoyed. And that's the freedom God wants us to have. His judgment is coming. Look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. We're almost done. Peter says this, do not forget this one thing, though, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. Our Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, as if he were permissive, as if he were not going to judge. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, here's the last thing we want to remember this morning, the last thing God wants us to hear, and that is that everyone wants justice until it falls on them or someone they love. And then they begin to hope for mercy. I have a friend who used to be a pastor. When he was a pastor, he preached many times about the sanctity of marriage, and he meant it. But then there came a moment that he will regret for the rest of his life. And now he's a single man whose kids don't want much to do with him, whose wife won't speak to him, and who lost most of his friends. And he told me once, he said this, he said, I always thought I knew the gospel, but it was only in my head. It wasn't until I really needed mercy that I understood that the gospel is for the worst of us. That's what Peter is telling us in verses 8 and 9, that God, who will bring justice, also loves mercy. And the only reason he's holding off on that judgment day right now, the only reason he's holding off on bringing that justice is because he wants to give mercy to as many as are willing to receive it. Listen again 
to what Peter tells us about the coming judgment. Don't forget this, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. God's operating on a timetable different than yours and mine. But the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, strength of heart and mind in times like this comes not only from remembering that justice is coming, but from knowing why God delays and knowing that his mercy is available to anyone willing to receive it. You know, church, there are lots and lots of reasons to hate this wicked, awful world. It murders unborn babies. It cheats the poor. It lies and lies and lies endlessly about everything. It's full of violence and hatred and slander. It treats God's gift of romance like some narcotic to be snorted and sold. And it worships all the wrong things like greed and popularity and earthly power. And most of all, it ignores a loving God who gave everything he has for it. It ignores him and, and treats him like dirt, like a bunch of spoiled rich kids who never humble themselves to give thanks. But here's the thing. God loves that world. God loves the people of this world. And strength of heart and mind in times like this is found not only in knowing that his judgment is coming, but knowing that we are here to offer his mercy. Jesus put it this way. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the gospel. God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world. Sometimes as believers, we think that's our calling. No, God sent his son to save the world. God loves the world so much that he would send his son, that he did send his son for that reason. And so as, as we close today, there's two things a Father God wants you to feel. One is he wants you to feel unafraid that the wicked will triumph. They won't. His judgment is coming. His justice is coming. It's inevitable. But the other thing he wants you to know is that if you need his mercy, he is eager and willing to give it. If you need forgiveness for your sins, you can ask for it right now in the name of Jesus and God will give it. God will give it to you. Even if it's the 77th or the 7,000th time you've asked for it. And he also wants you to know if when you hear about his judgment, his coming justice, you know in your heart that you'll be the object of it, God offers you his forgiveness and his mercy. He would rather make you his friend than punish you as his enemy. All you have to do is be willing to receive that grace from him. Humble yourself enough to receive it from him. You can do that simply by inviting Jesus to be your savior. God sent him to save you. That's how he feels about you. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me in this moment. And maybe you realize this morning that you need forgiveness. Understand this, God is here in this moment willing to give it to you. He is present with you, for you. He is seeking you. He's willing to give you that forgiveness. Will you go to him and confess? Will you right now confess to him that sin? He'll set you free from it if you will confess it. Maybe you have never asked Jesus to be your savior. And so you're kind of like Hermione Braunsteiner, hoping judgment won't come. Jesus says it will, but he wants to save you from it. 
and you are saved in the moment you turn to him and say, yes, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. I'm sorry, I confess, be my savior. You can make that decision right now and then you escape that judgment. Your name is written down in the book of life and you are free. You see, God is a God of mercy and of justice. And he offers the first to you because the second is coming. God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the way it sets our hearts at rest. God, we can read the news without fear because we know that your justice is coming. God, we also thank you because your heart is so great that you offer us your grace and your mercy. Teach us to receive it from you and to share it with those around us. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God wants to set you free from anxiety, fear, desperation. This time, this is how it happens. Thanks for spending some time with us. Now, may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love.